that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Do you want to see heaven on earth this morning? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Father, we exalt your name high. You deserve all praise, honor, and glory. We believe our declaration this morning. We believe in the power of the preached word of Jesus Christ. And I pray you would anoint our pastor this morning to bring the word you've placed in his soul that it would pour out of him this morning. And that we'd be ready to receive what you have for us, Lord. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word found in the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 11. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, were with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. May the Lord give praise and honor to this service today. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Let me give you an introduction of our message here today and so that we'll give us an understanding exactly what is going on. Here is the historical situation concerning our text. First of all, Babylon, as we all know, invaded Israel three different times. The first time was in 605 BC when they disposed the king and took vessels of the temple as well as promising young leaders such as even Daniel. The third and annual final invasion, we'll skip the second one for right now, was in 586 BC when they had completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple during the time of Zechariah. So that's what's taken place at this particular time. It is here within our text that Israel has been in captivity to Babylon for right almost 70 years exiled away from their homeland. The Jews have been scattered. The temple has been destroyed. The priesthood has been slaughtered. The precious vessels and sacred writings has also been destroyed. Families have been ripped apart. Children have been killed and abused and taken from parents. Mothers and daughters have been sold as slaves. The land of Israel lies desolate. It's ravaged by war. And the once proud nation is not only conquered but it's banished from its homeland morale is sagging, faith is lacking in God and when the cruel Babylonian empire appeared to be given away to the medio Persia, a sense of hope began to be reborn among the Jews because there was a man by the name of Cyrus, the Persian leader who allowed a few of the Jews to begin to filter back home to rebuild the temple As a matter of fact, he even gave them some gold and resources and money to do it the small but handful of exhausted but stubborn Jews return to live amid the ruins and the waste of that old city. They find Jerusalem in a disaster. It is in this dismal and this despairing context that God begins to announce a work of restoration. I love that one song that they sung a while ago, that God is able to do it again. I want to tell you, don't know how, don't know how he's going to do it, but in your darkest, bleakest hour, in the times when you think it's an impossibility, when you think it's just it's gone over the edge. There's no way out. I'm here to tell you that God comes ringing in cloud, loud and clear, that he is a God of restoration. How many believes that God's a God of restoration? You cannot get so deep that God can't pull you
you out. You can't get so far away that he can't bring you in. That God is a God of restoration. But among them to return was Zerubbabel in the first wave. Uh, there were three different waves of the Jews returning back. There were three different uh, uh, attacks that, that conquered them. And now there's three different waves of Jews being sent back home. And the first wave was under a leader by the name of Zerubbabel. And with him came about 40,000 individuals. And their desire was to rebuild the temple. And it took them exactly around four months of travel just to get back home. Can you imagine that? Four months just to arrive to the shores only to see a mountain of rubble. Only to see Jerusalem burnt and destroyed and nothing there. Our text involves the second wave of Jews that came, which involved a man by the name of Ezra, a prophet, a scribe, a great man of God. And the third wave of Jews involved a man by the name of Nehemiah, whose vision was to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Now, I don't have time to talk to you about all of the three different waves and the events that take places and the differences in them, but I will say this. I can tell you that when Zerubbabel came to rebuild the temple in the first wave and Nehemiah came to build the walls of Jerusalem on the third wave, that they all had one thing in common, and that was that they, first of all, laid a foundation. And can I tell you, you can't build if you don't have a foundation. If you're not built upon solid ground, my friend, you're going to be on sinking sand and nothing is going to last. But nevertheless, they first began to pour out a foundation. It was hard, hard work cleaning the mountain of rubble and moving massive slabs of rock that stood within their way. On top of that, their enemy was opposed to the opposed to the return as well, and each day was very difficult. They were fighting the elements of ruin and waste and rubble, sorrow and heartache, and also putting up with the opposing enemy at the very same time. Each day they worked, it counted, and each day they made headway. Have you ever worked and it felt like nothing was accomplished? Have you ever worked and it felt like, my goodness, I'm not even, I'm not even making a dent in this thing? Why even do it? And how many has ever just sometimes looked at the day and said, I got absolutely nothing accomplished? Well, let me tell you, this is why these people fell, because the mountain of rubble that stood before them was unbelievable. And each day that they worked, little by little, they were removing this rubble, and there was a heart in them that was saying, why keep on? As a matter of fact, I'm not going to get into it because of time, but there was a time that they paused and they hesitated due to the overwhelming obstacles that stood their way, and that was the second wave where O Ezra, the prophet, comes in, and he begins to straighten them out over several different things that was going on in their lives. But each day that they worked, whether they knew it or not, it counted. And can I tell you folks, your labor that you're doing in the kingdom of God is noticed, and it does count. It may not seem like you're headed anywhere. It may seem like you've prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing seemed to really happen miraculous in your life. But I want to tell you, there's not one thing that you do that God does not give you a reward for doing it. You can't even give a, cla- a glass of cold water away without receiving a reward from the Lord. Can I have an amen? So your works does count. I want you to know that. But each day they made headway and they didn't realize it. They advanced little by little, bit by bit, until finally the job was done. And let me stop right here and say, this is a journey, my friend, and not a one-time experience when it comes to building a temple. And you're going to have to remember that because you also, and I also, are building a temple, and it's not going to be built overnight, and it's going to take some time. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some hard work. Be not weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you faint not. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise in the house. You know, everyone talks... Amen. It's all right to praise him. But everyone talks of the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt by Nehemiah, but very little focus seems to be upon rebuilding the temple itself. But what we see in Scripture is that the emphasis of importance was put on the temple first and not the walls. Have you ever noticed that? I was studying this, and I've been studying it for 30 years, and I love this passage of Scripture. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, why did I build the temple before I built the walls? 
And I got to thinking, I thought, Lord, I've never even thought of it in that context. But the walls of the city were not built first, but rather the temple itself. The walls of the city were built 92 years after the first wave of captivities when they were taken into captivity, and 22 years after the first wave of the captivities coming back home. In other words, when Zerubbabel come back to actually reestablish and build the temple, it took them 22 years to do it. Can I have an, that sounds like a long time, doesn't it? Just to rebuild a small temple the way that they did. Because it was nothing like the temple of Solomon. When they arrived, the heaps of rubble of the city were not cleaned up nor removed. But their main focus was on this rubble that stood on the grounds in and around where this temple would be built. And did you know it took two years just to remove the rubble that was on the temple mount by itself? Two solid years of 40,000 some odd people working themselves silly trying to build a temple. Sometimes you got to remove obstacles in your life before you can have forward mobility. Sometimes you have to say, hey, I got to start dealing with this mess. Sometimes you got to deal with your mess before you can have progress. Can I have an amen? Some of you are sitting here and you're in the same old place you've been for years and years and years. And let me tell you, nothing's going to change until you start removing some of your rubble. Rubble has to be removed so that you can have a clear vision of what God wants to do in your life. But the main emphasis was not on rebuilding Jerusalem, the capital city of God like you think, but rather the main emphasis was on building this temple. And all too often we think backwards in our thought process when it comes to spiritual matters, don't we? The wisdom of men would have placed the importance of the rebuilding of the walls priority over everything else. What good is a temple being built, being exposed and open to the enemy's attacks due to no walls in order to protect it. Why would God put a temple out there and no walls of protection around it? It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. However, the carnal mind is at always at enmity with God and God has always chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, hasn't he? The walls represented the protection of the people, by the people, and for the people. But it is here on this premise that we see that God reveals to us that the temple itself represented the protection of Jehovah upon the people and not man-made laws or man-made walls or man himself. In other words, God says you don't need no walls to protect you. He that watches over Israel never slumbers nor does he sleep. I am alive and awake and I'll be your fire of protection and I'll be your wall of defense. I'll be your buckler. I'll be your shield. I'll be your rear guard. I'll be whatever you need me to be. And can I just stop and tell this congregation all you need to protect you today is the presence of God. Can I have an amen? Oh, I'm about to preach to you here today. We got a long way to go, so I got to preach fast here. The concept of God is rebuild the temple first, the place of my presence, and that will be the protection of the nation. That'll be the protection of the city. That'll be the protection of the people. The temple represented the protection of Jehovah upon the people instead of the people for the people. It would be Jehovah that would be the protector of them. They first needed to restore the worship of, of God before they built the walls of stone. God says, I don't want you to go out here and build walls. I want you to build worship. If there's one thing God's speaking to this congregation and this assembly, he's trying to get this church activated in pure Holy Spirit worship. Come on, somebody worship him right now. Might as well get to practicing it right now. Amen. God's speaking to us. Let me say it again. The first thing needed to restore, it was the worship of God before seeking to, the, to restore the walls of stone. We have to always remember restoration begins first in building the temple, the habitation of God, the dwelling of God, then the walls can be built secondarily. The walls represent the structure of our lives. They represent perimeters, boundaries, priorities. And perimeters and boundaries and priorities that sit outside of God's presence is nothing more than religious conformity and humanism. Let me say it, it's very dangerous to set perimeters and boundaries and priorities outside of God's presence governing you. Why? Because they will always be very legalistic in nature. They'll be self-righteous in nature or they'll be too loose. 
No one can set perimeters in a right way without God's presence guiding them. But when boundaries and perimeters have been set by the presence of God, they will be secure and they will establish us in eternal truth. There is so many people misguided and lost due to not having presence governing them. Everybody does what's right in their own side. And that's what gets them in trouble. It's not that you need to be doing what's right in your own side. It's you better be doing what's right by the, what's in the sight of God for your life. And that can only be found when you have a relationship with him that's built upon presence. The walls weren't started until the third wave of captivities returning uh, uh, 22 years later. Zerubbabel started. The walls wouldn't be built for another 22 years. So they live without what we seem to say, protection, for 22 years without walls. What good is walls or structure if God's not there to protect you? What good is it? They had walls before, but it didn't work, did it? Because God had lifted his presence. And this is why the psalmist said in Psalms 127 verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh in vain. Restoration must begin with building the temple and reestablishing God's presence. Then the walls can be built, but the walls have to be secondary. When we get the house of the Lord in order, everything else will fall into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. Even among all the opposition that they had, it took them only 52 days to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem while it took 22 years to build the temple. That's a big contrast. So what's that speaking to us? When I looked at that and I said, God, what are you trying to tell me? And he said, I want to tell you what I'm telling you. Get my presence established and when you do, everything will start accelerating. Woo! Are you ready for acceleration? I said, are you ready for acceleration in the presence of God? Are you ready for the plowman and the reaper to begin to see each other and all of it? You're reaping faster than the plower can put the seed in the ground? Are you ready to see some supernatural abundance, some acceleration in the spirit? To get the temple in order. When the presence of God, it takes time to do that. Took them 22 years to get everything lined up, everything located and everything rebuilt and everything reestablished. But when it did, can you imagine as tall as them walls were and as wide as they were and as long as they're all the way around that big city of Jerusalem, it only took them 52 days. There was an acceleration because presence had been established. Oh God, give the Lord praise for that. Oh God. Do me a favor, roll back your clock an hour right now. Oh, we got a long way to go here. The same principle applies to our lives as well, what took place with the children of Israel. When it comes to our lives, restoration begins in building the temple of the heart and not building walls to hide behind to protect us. And we build all kinds of walls. Don't got time to get into I've cut a lot of my sermon this morning. Walls are much easier to build than the heart or the temple. It's a lot easier to be religious than it is to be righteous. It's a lot easier to go through a ritual than it is to go through in a relationship. Relationship takes work. Rituals don't. Rituals is nothing more than a shallow rut that leads to a deep grave. Can I tell you that again? I wished I could. I said that rituals is a shallow rut that leads to a deep grave. All too often we seek to build walls of protection without the help of God and we struggle and we fail. We try to do these perimeters. We try to set these priorities. We try to do what's morally right without having the proper relationship. And all of our righteousness is as filthy as rags and they count as nothing. Can I have an amen? And God would not allow Israel to wall themselves in and put their trust in walls this time, but he reestablished his presence with them first. He said, if you're going to last, if this thing's going to work, you've got to have my presence go before you. His presence must be the governing factor of their lives. The emphasis of important then was upon presence and not protection because his presence would be the protector. And God's presence must become the priority and not religious conformity. The walls of do's and don'ts and the walls of rituals and the walls of regulations. We're good at all of that, ain't we? And the problem with following Jesus, I'm going to say this several times throughout this sermon. And I want you to write it down if you got it or tape it or whatever you got to do. The problem with following Jesus is that too often we are trying to be a better version of us rather than being a more accurate reflection of him. 
And when I got to thinking about that, that's when we put our trust in walls, the trust within the structure of our life without having a relationship with him. Let's say it again. The problem with following Jesus is that too often that we're trying to be a better version of us rather than being a more accurate reflection of him. It's not about you getting better. It's about him being better in your life. It's not about you becoming better. It's you dying out and Christ living within you. The temple was what the project was all about. And sometimes we fail to see that. It would be a mistake to think that God blesses craftsmanship, material work only when it's devoted to a religious purpose or cause. In other words, their concept was this. When enemy comes up and it looks like they're going to overtake us, uh-oh, we got to get better. So what are we going to do? We're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to activate ourselves and we're going to work over here and we're going to pray harder and we're going to do this. And we get all freaked out and we start running and trying to find the favor of God. And that is nothing more than a humanistic approach to trying to find favor. Favor does not come by your works. Favor comes by your relationship with the Lord. Somebody help me preach here this morning. It's not about works. It's about worship. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's not about being better, it's about being righteous, righteous with God. It's not about religious activities, but it's about presence. Religious activities make make you feel good, stroke your ego, but I want to tell you what good is it if you have all structure, but you have no presence. Amen? It's not about rituals that we go through, it's about connecting and communing with the presence of God. Each and every one of us was designed to commune with God. Adam was designed to have fellowship with God, folks, daily. Not weekly. Most people never even have any kind of communion with God until Sunday morning when they come to church. And then when they leave Sunday night, they'll say, all right, God, I'll see you next Sunday. Unless the enemy comes, and if the enemy comes, we'll do everything we can to try to please you so we can have your favor. Come on. That's what got Israel in trouble in the first place. Each and every one of us has a temple to build and not just religious laws and activities to conform to. Let me say it again. The problem with following Jesus is that too often we're trying to be a better version of us rather than being a more accurate reflection of who he is. We have all suffered loss. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all found ourselves alienated from his presence. We've all found ourselves as standing afore off from the presence of God. As a matter of fact, none of us as of yet, like the Apostle Paul, have obtained the perfection. There's work to do in our lives. The Bible tells us, Philippians 3 and 12, that Paul said, not as though I've already attained, either we're already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I've also been apprehended of Christ Jesus. We are all building a temple for God to dwell in, and that temple is the body of our flesh. Did you know 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You, every single believer here today is building a temple. It's your life. That's the temple. That's the dwelling place of God. We have all have things that need to be repaired. We all have damaged goods. We have places of ruin, decayed places. Torn places, weak places, inferior places, fleshly places, worn places. We all have them. This is not a time for us to build ourselves a walled-in safe place to seek refuge. But we have to seek out a habitation of God's presence. What God's calling this church to is a time of presence. A time of seeking his presence. Our trust has to be in the Lord and him alone, not in our walled in, uh, walled in safe places and our religious activities and our, 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 in all of our sacrifices and good works and moral uprighteousness. This is why the prophet Haggai said in Haggai 1 and 4, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your sealed houses and this temple lies in ruin? When Haggai comes on the scene and Ezra's been battling the people, there's been all kinds of different things that was going on and we don't have time to get into all of them. But one of the things that happened is they quit working on the temple because they got comfortable in their own homes. And the temple lied waste. And here's Haggai, the prophet, and that more or less is what he said. Didn't you learn something from the first time? Didn't you learn that the most important thing is about the presence of God and that presence of God dwells in that temple down there? And if that temple is not built, God's presence is not among you? But yet they walled themselves in in their sealed structures called home, and it was their safe place. 
As one writer said, a home is a man's castle and we build our man caves to hide behind and we find our place of security in the confinements of stood or, or stone or wood structures just like Israel did. And we keep it up to date and we'll polish it and make it modern. We'll repair it when our wives make us do it. And we'll paint our houses and we'll do all that. While all along there is no effort to repair the house of the Lord, the spiritual temple of our lives at all. We go out here and we get involved in every carnal thing that there's to get involved in, but very little work goes in to building a habitation of God for our lives, building this temple. We cannot serve God without establishing the temple of God in our hearts on a regular basis. This thing has to be a communion with the Lord every single day of your life. We have to have devotions with the Lord. We have to learn to worship God, not only at church. Worship is not a church activity. Worship is a lifestyle. Can I have an amen? The walls of life offer no protection whatsoever. We hide behind walls of religious activities, good works, moral uprighteousness. But what we have to realize is what gave Jerusalem security was not the walls of stone, but it was the stone of Zion that gave them the protection. Isaiah 28 and 16 says, Therefore this saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. It's a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Somebody say sure foundation. And whosoever believes will not act hastily. You believe that? Then you'll not act hastily. This, of course, is referring to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone. It was Paul that reminded us in 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. Paul reminded us that through his ministry, who was considered the chief apostle and also the chief master builder, that he, that as an apostle, laid the foundation. It was Paul that also said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 11, for no man lay, can lay a foundation other than the one that has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus. He said again in Ephesians 2.20, having been built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone that holds the whole building together. This is the whole reason that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, I don't want to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because Paul made it clear over and over and over and over again in Scripture that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and he is what the foundation is built upon. Amen? He is the very foundation of the Apostle Creed. He's the very foundation of the Apostles' faith. Then Paul said, now that this foundation has been built, Christ has died on the cross He's made a way for you to be saved. He said, now that the foundation's been laid, be careful how you build upon it. We're building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Salvation is just our foundation, folks. When I came and gave my life to Jesus Christ, guess what? A foundation had been poured for me. And now I have to build my temple upon that foundation. I am now erecting and constructing a temple to house the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? We are to build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. In and in alone is the place of security and protection. The captives, the captives first put their trust within the Lord before they built the walls. Their faith and courage in the face of discouragement led them to build the temple of God. Our faith and courage must also lead us in the challenges of life not to build walls, but to build the temple of God upon our hearts. We must understand, folks, that our security is God's presence. And if you don't know God's presence, you really have no security. You're playing rushing roulette with your life. Amen? To seek him first, to put him first, to make him first, it should be the priority of all of our lives. And not to run and hide behind and cover ourselves with a fig tree, fig leaf like Adam did when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. Our hearts must be restored to proper worship. And the temple of God's grace must be established upon the foundations of our heart. When the captives arrived, their first job was to build an altar and offer a sacrifice. Wisdom begins with the heart being established with the trust in God and not in the trust of men or in the trust of walls. And when they began to try to build the temple, it was not only hard work and sacrifice, but there was also opposition that tried to hinder, oppose, and stop them from building and erecting that temple. And those of you that are saved, they cannot strain concerning the fiery trials of your faith as some strange things coming. I want to tell you, Jesus said offenses is going to happen. 
There is a war between right and wrong. Devil and, and Satan is out to try to stop you from building a holy house under the Lord to where the Holy Spirit can reside into your life. They have these same oppositions. We also have to be reminded that 70 years, I, wasn't even going, I was going to skip this part, but I don't know for some reason I don't feel like I should. But I want you to know we have to be reminded for 70 years has passed since the city was destroyed. The city has laid in ruins at the first wave of the captives coming back home for 70 solid years. And the longer something lays in ruins, the less likely that it'll ever be rebuilt. Amen? It's like the man that falls off the horse. If he don't get back on it pretty soon, he may not ever get back on it. I always heard if you fall off the horse, the first thing to do is get back on it. But I want to tell you, 70 years. Do you know the ruin, the rot, the decay? There ain't nothing left. The fires were not put out. The, everything is gone. Everything is disastrous. 70 years of waste. 70 years of ruin. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you've been covered overwhelmed and touched by the presence of God. Has it been 70 years? I doubt. But 70 years, God's presence had left the city of Jerusalem. It's a lot easier to build something new than it is to try to resurrect or erect something old. How many knows that? Amen? There's more rubble and ruin to deal with in the fall of a city or a temple than there is to just build a new temple on new ground. And it's true that God is a God of restoration, God is a God of restitution. God is a God of healing. But there is consequences to our failure and our backsliding. There's consequences to it. There's more rubbish, waste, hurt, pain, and other consequences that we'll have to deal with if we backslide. This is why that Paul said that when you build upon this foundation, build upon it wisely. It's important that we build it right the first time so that we won't have to ever experience or face trying to rebuild something that's been destroyed in our lives, ripped apart from us because there's a lot of heart, heartache, and pain and a lot of loss that goes with that. Restoration is possible, but it does have its consequences. When they begin to rebuild the temple, the old man sat around and they wept. Here they are building the temple. The old man sat around and wept, not because they're being able to rebuild the temple, you would have thought that's why they wept. They're excited. They're weeping. Oh, we're getting to rebuild. No, they wept because they said it'll never be like the other one. Solomon's temple was grand and glory. Oh, it can't ever be like. And they're crying about the past. And even though restoration would happen, they had to deal with the thought, the ideology, and the mindset, it'll never be the same. Do you know how hard this mindset is to overcome? God spoke to me and he said, there are people that are sitting in this service and they got this very mindset. You'll never match up. You'll never arrive again. You'll never be equal to what you once was. It's hard to be restored when you think that you'll never arrive to the status that you once were. Amen? And this happens due to all the rubbish, the waste, and the ruin sitting there staring you in the face. And you look at all the hurt and the pain and the loss and, and the bruises and the wounds and the blood and all the ravages of war that took place in your life that caused you to make one bad decision or two bad decisions that caused you to fall from the grace of God. And all of a sudden you're looking around and you're thinking, oh, I'll never be able to get back to where I once was. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Because when God restores he does not put a patch on it. He makes it new. Woo! When God does restoration, when he looks at you, he says, what sin? He don't even remember. He puts you back as if it never happened in your life. So somebody near here needs to hear about the mercy and the grace of our loving Heavenly Father. The Jews are on their way home and God is going to restore and the latter house will be greater than the former house. Oh, I wish I could spend some time right there. I got to move on though. Their sin and rejection of God's rule of law was what caused them to be carried away into Babylonian captivity in the first place. Psalms 118 verse 2 talks about it. The stone which the builders rejected had become a chief cornerstone, and that was a prophetic word of the coming of Jesus. And when they seen their enemies, before they were even led out of captivity, the enemy came up. You know what the emphasis of importance were on them people? What do you think it was? Go back and read the book. They're sitting there, and here comes the Babylonian uh, armies coming in to in the different waves, and all three times, you know why they put all their effort, all of their hard work, 
restoring the breaches of the wall. Oh, they're coming over the wall here. We got to go restore that. That fight them back and try to repair the wall. That's what we do as well. Instead of pursuing presence, they just got caught up in the increase of religious activity. Do good more works. Their concept was, well, if I pray more, if I work more, if I sacrifice more, if I give more, then this building, then this structure is going to stand. No, 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 no. That's just structure. Can I tell you, their main priority and emphasis should not have been on trying to repair the wall, but should have been repairing the temple and the presence of God back in the camp of Israel. Symbolically speaking, we are to keep pursuing and housing the presence of God. That's our main job. You know what your main job as a Christian is? Relationship. Loving the Lord. When your structure isn't governed by presence, then you have no security, and you will be carried away into captivity. Your priorities, your boundaries, your perimeters will all be out of order. And it will lack spiritual governing of favor and blessings that provides the hedge of protection. How many knows that if the hedge of protection is not there, what happens according to the book of Ecclesiastes? The serpent bites. At the time of our text, we have to understand all that all was accomplished at this particular time of what I read to you was that the foundation was laid. Zerubbabel's come, they've removed the rubble, took them two years and four months to get that done. Four months of travel, two years of work. Now, now, then they have to actually pour the foundation, which took them a lot longer. It took them two years just to remove the rubble. So here, we're up in the third, fourth year already because the foundation's been laid. They hadn't set up the curtains or the gold or the altar. There's no walls put up. There's no roof put on the temple. At this point, they had only laid the foundation. It is at this point that the people took kind of a pause, and I'm going to read my text, and this is what happened at this point. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sing together, of course, in course and praising and giving thanks in the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, now folks, get a picture of this because the Lord just kind of dealt with me. It was upon the finishing of the foundation that the people made so much noise shouting and worshiping that it could be heard afar off, the Bible says. It says it in Ezra chapter chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to it. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. What did that just say? Let me analyze it and put in modern day English. It was saying that the voice of faith and worship for the future had to be louder than the weeping of those over the past. That they could not hear the weeping because the shouting and the praising overtook them. Amen? Let me tell you something, folks. Here is old man weeping over the past while God's trying to do something glorious and splendor in their future. You'll never advance by sitting around crying about the past. And so there has to be enough worshipers that deaden their influence and deaden their voice. Amen? That the worship was so loud and so extravagant and so wonderful that they could not hear the weeping of the old men. <laughs> there's always criticism when there's a new wave of God. There's always people wanting to go back to the past, the good old days, the wonderful days. Well, I want to tell you, every new day is a day of splendor and glory in the presence of God. And every new day, God wants you to taste and see the new things of the Lord. He don't want you to eat old stale leftover bread that you've done experience. God's got a manifold blessing waiting for the church if they'll only believe and receive the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. Uh. That's a mini pearl version of the anointing. Some of you don't even know who mini pearl is, do you? Have you ever wondered why there was so much worship so early in the rebuilding of the temple? Why? 
Weren't they counting their chickens before they hatch a little bit? The times were unstable. They were very insecure. They had an opposing enemy. Anything could happen to interrupt the ongoing work. Wasn't a little bit premature to start a worship service? If we could only realize that worship precedes works, our work should evolve out of our worship. I don't work to find favor. My work evolves out of my favor that's been produced by my worship. It was their worship that helped the work of the temple to proceed successfully. Their hearts were touched. Their passions were renewed. Their vision inspired. Their hearts were ignited by the presence of God. It was what enabled them to finish the work of the Lord. Amen? We worship on the partial. Can I say that again? We worship on the partial, and we don't wait until we have everything perfect within our lives before we worship. That's the biggest problem that people have. I can't worship because I ain't got everything perfect. You'll never have anything perfect until you learn how to worship. Because it's only you establishing God's presence that's going to make you perfect. And without presence, you'll never come to the full maturity of the age of, uh, of perfection. You'll never be able to overcome strongholds. You'll never be able to overcome problems if you don't learn how to establish God's presence in your life. Amen? You can build all the walls you want and you can sit behind all the walls you want. You can do all the religious activities you want. You can do all the good works. You can feel good about yourself. But I want to tell you, none of that is going to count if you don't establish presence. Their worship was a sign of their faith. They were seeing the completed the completed temple. They looked at it and said, hey, God's got a foundation. And they already said, well, he's going to finish that. Isn't that what Philippians 1 and 6 says, being confident of this very thing, he which begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Sure, he's going to finish it. How many believes that God's the author and the finisher of your faith? He's the author, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He's the author and he's the finisher. They were praising God for what they had already achieved. We laid the foundation but they were putting their trust in the fact that he would complete the vision. He would complete the plan. They were look, this is what they were doing. Oh, we laid a foundation. Whew, man, look at the size of that foundation. God must have something good in store for us because the foundation is the resemblance uh, or, or the reflection of the beauty of what he wants to accomplish. So they praised him and they magnified him. How many knows you're not where God wants you to be? Raise your hand. You're not arrived yet. Okay. Now how many is going to worship God right now with me saying, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm praising him on the partial. Nothing's happening as of yet, but hey, 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 look where I've come from. I've got a foundation. Look, the foundation's laid, and the foundation's sure, and I want to tell you, I'm building my life on that, and what he's done to get me to this far is what he's going to do to get me to the rest of the way. Can I have an amen? amen? Quit crying over what's going on and start worshiping for heaven's sakes. The worship was establishing his presence among them as they worked and built because God inhabit the praises of his people. The work was fueled by their worship which brought an awareness of the presence of God among them. They worked out of the strength of his presence instead of out of the strength of their own flesh. We have to learn to worship on the partial when we don't have it all as of yet. We don't see it all. Or everything to fulfill our dream is not there as of yet. We have to praise him even if we haven't seen the walls go up yet. We have to learn how to worship when all there is is just a foundation. Amen? Worship is what enables us to walk out our vision to completion. And too often we think that we have to wait for our complete victory to happen before we can open our mouths to worship. On the contrary, it is our pre-worship event that ensures our victory. Are you listening to me? Look at Jehoshaphat. Look at Jericho. Worship preceded their victory. I ain't got time to preach on them, but you know the story. God sent the trumpeters out in front, and the warriors stood in the back, and that was the worship that gave them the victory. It was the worship around the walls. When they shouted, the walls of Jericho fell down. Worship ushers in victory because it ushers in God's presence. The antidote to victory is simple. It's called praise and worship. You want victory here today? Learn how to worship 
on the partial. Learn how to worship when you ain't seen the evidences of anything happening as of yet. You ain't seen anything change. Instead of things getting better, they've got worse. Praise him anyhow. Worship him anyway. Come on, somebody. Why? Because you're reestablishing presence and you're putting confidence and saying, Lord, I'm on a foundation and you're going to complete that which you started and it doesn't matter what seems to be appearing right now. This is false because the true vision will come to pass. I'm going to worship you and establish presence and your presence is my protection and your presence is going to go with me and through the effort of presence, establishing presence, my work will not be in vain and I'll not have to labor hard because I am tied to you and your yoke is easy. And your burden's light. Amen? Amen? Worship is what is establishing presence. It is the presence that will establish the wall. You don't have to worry about your priorities. You don't have to worry about your convictions. Everybody's got different convictions. You know why? Because everybody's at a different level of the presence of God. Our lives must be built by presence. That presence that cleanses us, refreshes us, challenges us, convicts us, corrects us, empowers us. I remember one time we was over in Ninth and Cedar in the early, early part, in the early 90s. And one night we had a foot washing. The ladies went in the back and the men were out in the front in the sanctuary. And we were sitting there and we were just going through a normal, everyday, routine of washing feet like we always have in the past. In other words, we don't do it every day, but we do, it's the same, we've done it the same way. And all of a sudden, for some reason, my brother-in-law, Bruce, happened to just get behind a microphone and start singing. And what he did, the glory of the Lord come down in that place. And I mean, things started happening. The presence of God was so strong People were laid out, men were laid out, wallowing in the floor, crying and moaning and groaning, and people dancing and people shouting and just a glorious time, a glorious event. After the service, a young man came up to me and said, boy, everything I've been trying to do, I've been doing this, 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 and they were good things. They weren't bad things. They were all about trying to get closer to God. He said, but what happened here tonight? established me and done more for me than all of the works put together is just feeling his presence. We have to have his presence. It's always not about a feeling, but it's knowing his presence. If we want to have it all together before we praise him, then we'll praise him in a flawed structure due to walled mentality and our worship won't even be pure. Amen? This is where we put trust in walls instead of presence. It's all about presence, folks. I'll be closing here in just a second. Like that of Moses. Moses says, if God don't go up, we don't go up. If that cloud moves, we move. If that cloud stands still, we stand still. There was a 10-year study of dozens, of dozens of families, and it was determined that nearly 90% of the time, something was wrong with their marriages, their kids, their finances, their work conditions, or something. Something was always going on in these families. And this was typical in every single one of these families. Every one of them. You know what that tells me? That if you wait for everything to be perfect before you worship, you'll only be worshiping 10% of the time of your life. Because there's always something going on. You get the, correct, you get the kid corrected and the husband gets crazy. Amen? You get the husband in line and the dog goes mad. Come on, every time you turn around and get one thing corrected, something else comes up in its place. Every time you turn around, there's always noisome plant, uh, uh, pestilence buzzing around in the flies of our apothecary trying to stop us from advancing. Worship him. Even though you have not seen the full evidences of things hoped for, longed for, and petitioned for, yet you have to learn how to worship God on the partial. You know, King Saul never found God's presence for himself. Never. King Saul was a man that the Bible said would go into fits and rages. And it was so untempered that eventually a demon actually attached itself to it. He opened a door. 
He allowed it because he never would bring structure or temperance or self-control. Never governed it. He just let it fly off the handle and easily gave into this spirit of rage. And then it says, and the spirit of the Lord finally departed from Saul and an evil spirit came upon him. It's what the Bible says. You open doors and evil spirits attached to it. Watch what you watch, watch what you see, watch what you hear, watch what you listen to, watch what you speak. Your words are powerful. We're always trying to correct my children when they say something or my grandchildren. Don't say that. Don't say that over your life. Don't speak that over your life. Come on. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Amen. King Saul would get in these rages and then all of a sudden he'd come into the presence of King David who housed the presence of God. And guess what would happen? He'd play his harp and it would just soothe him. And it would soothe him. And the evil spirit would leave him. He'd go back out and get right back in the same mess, come right back in and David would play his harp. People do that all the time in the church. They come in and there's presence. It's a feel-good place. They enjoy it. Calms them. Gives them a sense of a comfort. How many knows that God is a God of comfort? Gives them a certain amount of peace. They come in and say, "I don't know exactly what it is I feel, but there's just something about this place that I feel good in." But they never learn how to establish that for their own selves, and they go outside of the walls, and it's torment. Only for them to return back the next Sunday to get another fix. They never learn how, though, a lot of them, to get that presence for themselves. But there'll come a time when David's presence does not satisfy you. You either got to get it for yourself or you'll go over the edge. Come on now. Because there came a time when he came in with a rage and David played and it had no effect upon him. And he took through and threw a javelin at it and tried to kill and silence David. And what we got to learn is that we got to learn to establish presence for ourselves. And God was telling Israel, Israel, you're the apple of my eye. You're my chosen people. But I want to tell you something. I can't protect you if you put your trust in the walls of men and in the structure of stone and wood. You've got to have presence. Did you know that after they got it together, built the temple, erected it, and the glory of the Lord came back, that Israel never served idols again? Never. Their whole history was full of serving idols. Up, down, in, out, cursed. I mean, come on. But after that, they never, ever served idols again. We need to establish presence here this morning. Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. I'm glad to hear that I don't have to have everything together before I can establish presence As a matter of fact, I've quit trying to clean myself up and I've had to say, God, you got to clean me up. And so I come when I do something wrong or I do repent, of course, and those kinds of things that we're supposed to. But I have found out Kent in his own strength, building his own perimeters, building his own walls cannot establish righteousness. I can't make myself better in order to please God. My righteousness is as filthy as rags. My works are to no avail. So what does Kent got to do when I fail, when I come short of the glory of God? Run and establish presence. I heard someone say the other day on television, and I thought, I got to think that through. He said, under the old covenant, you could break the commandments, you could break the covenant because the covenant was between God and man. I agree with that. But on the new covenant, a better covenant, you can't break covenant. Because the covenant is established between Christ and God. That covenant can't be broke. You can disfellowship yourself from it. 
and you can reap the consequences of not having the results of it, but you can't break that covenant because that covenant is everlasting. So that tells me that God's love for me is everlasting. That no matter where I'm at or what I've done or how far I've been carried away or how deep pit I'm in, that the covenant remains true. His love over me has not changed. His grace is sufficient to forgive me. And his love is able to pull me out of the miry clay and out of the horrible pit and put my feet upon a solid rock, a solid foundation. Those of you that are here and your life is just all torn apart, you feel like there's no hope of return, I'm so far away, or I've done this, I've done that, I'm battling this, I'm battling that. The covenant ain't changed. His banner over you is love. He cannot even turn from wanting to do good to you. He loves you with an everlasting, an agape love, a love we can't understand. And what God is saying is don't, don't flee from me, but flee to me. Draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. You who sometimes were far off, you're made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Woo! And whom the Son has set free, they're free indeed. I'm here to pray for some people that's struggling. To say I'm struggling does not mean you're sinning necessarily. I'm struggling. Bring your struggle. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Those that come unto me, I will in no wise cast out what he says. He's a healer of the bruised and the wounded. He's the lifter of the head of the sorrowful. Come on. You can trade the spirit of heaviness for the garment of praise today. You can find that God is true and everlasting and his love is overwhelming and his love will draw you and keep you and sustain you if you'll only trust him. But you've got to establish relationship. You're saying, well, why do I come and I have these experiences and I go back out and I do the same old things because you're not establishing relationship on a regular basis. You have to learn to walk in that relationship. Relationships hard. They're messy. How many's married? Relationships messy, ain't they? How many says the relationships are messy? Hard work. The same is true with our relationship with Christ, but the only mess is on our part, not his part. We're messy. We're messy. We're filthy. Thank God he can handle us. He knows us. And this morning, if you're here and there's rubble, there's ruin, there's waste, there's decay, there's despair, there's hopelessness, there's darkness, there's hurt, there's pain, there's prisons, there's shackles, there's worry, there's fear, there's fret, there's all of those things, depression, there's anxiety, then we're spirits. You're being troubled and you're being hurt. I want to help you break through this morning. I want to help you get a life of presence. <laughs> Hallelujah. Would you come this morning if you're like that? Hey, praise your way to victory here today. Come on. Don't be embarrassed. Say, I need help. I got to have help. I'm struggling. I'm warring. I'm fighting. I'm treading water. I'm dog paddling. I'm about to drown in life. There's areas in my life I want more of God. I got to have more of God. Now, those of you that want more of God, would you come as well? Would you say, hey, I got to just establish some presence here right now. <laughs> All I want you to do is just lift your hands and say, Lord, everything that I've ever done wrong, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. I ask you to take away my sin and my sorrow. And now, Lord, I praise you and I magnify you. I glorify you. I'm establishing presence in my life. I don't want to be a, 
up and down yo-yo in life. I want to establish presence. I don't want to be a Saul. I want to be a David. I want to be a David in my life. Would you just worship him? Hallelujah. It's between you and God. Establish your own presence. Lord, right now, I pray over this congregation. I pray that every evil of spirit that has attached itself to unseemly behavior that's going on in the lives of your people, that that would be broken just like God saw had that evil spirit come upon him. Break that spirit up off their backs. Those open doors that we have opened, Lord, I ask you to, Lord, now shut those doors and let the blood of Jesus Christ seal it at the doorpost to where it can never enter in again. I pray, God, that every single one of these individuals here today will be able to establish presence in their life, the presence of God, the wonderful presence of the Lord. Lord, help us to build our temples. Build it right. Build it upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Build it upon the foundation of the provision of the cross of Christ. Lord, help us right now in the name of Jesus. Wash away our sin. Cleanse us from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Perfect in holiness in the fear of God. Help our bodies be a living testimony of your Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us as a living epistle. God, in the name of Jesus, worship him, folks. You got to break through, just worship him. Magnify him in your own way. Hallelujah. Don't sit and cry about what you've done yesterday. Give that to the Lord. Lay it on a platter. The covenant's not changed. He'll forgive you. He told Peter to forgive 70 times 7. How much more will he forgive us? Lay it out and say the covenant's not changed. The covenant ain't been broken between God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. Christ is my heavenly intercessor. He's my high priest. And when I come to him, I find grace in my time of need. Hallelujah. Cleanse us now, God. Cleanse us now, God. In the name of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit. up here among the altar worker up around the altars praise the name of the Lord we got to reestablish presence work at it every day you know what I'd like to do I'd like to put the enemy on the run the way I'd like to do that I'd like for us to lift our voices in a minute of praise and worship to where they can hear the floor off I want the worship to drown out the weepers Amen. The sorrowful. Would you right now lift your voice? Would you give the Lord some of the highest praise? Come on, let them hear the four off. Hallelujah. 
Praise the name of the Lord. Yes, he's worthy. He's worthy. His covenant is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Hallelujah. believe that God is going to accelerate the presence of God here and in that presence things is going to accelerate and the supernatural gifts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit I speak revival to the north I speak revival to the south I speak revival to the east I speak revival to the west hallelujah I speak Holy Ghost fire from the north Holy Ghost fire from the south Holy Ghost fire to the west Holy Ghost fire to the east Hallelujah. I speak transformation to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west of this region. May God arise and his enemies be scattered. And may the palace of praise praise him for what he's doing. Hallelujah. Woo! Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. May God bless you. You're going to be dismissed. Come out and enjoy a good presence. And you can stay around the altar as long as you want to worship. There's no hurry. You can remain if you want to. May the Lord bless you in Jesus' name.